This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. Aggression is an evolutionary behavior seen throughout the animal world. When it comes to humans, however, some forms of aggression can be seen as pathological, dangerous, and quite costly to society. And yet there's a dearth of approved, effective treatments for aggression. Megan Flanagan is a graduate student at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai and one of the authors of a new article in the journal Neuropsychopharmacology titled Recent Advances in the Study of Aggression. She says there isn't much data about the causes of abnormal aggression in humans, and part of the problem has been that it hasn't been modeled well in animals. Megan, in the paper, you describe how past animal models haven't distinguished between what's known as reactive and proactive aggression. What are these, and are newer models taking these differences into account? The difference between reactive and proactive aggression is, well, twofold. So one is that reactive aggression is commonly defined as kind of aggression that's impulsive, hostile, and mostly characterized by high emotional reactivity, so you're reacting to a perceived threat, whereas proactive aggression is seen as more purposeful, goal-driven, sort of premeditated, and this is usually accompanied by hypoarousal, so almost like psychopathic sort of traits of calm aggression. And basically, the models haven't really taken these differences into account, um, but they're beginning to. So a couple of models of proactive aggression in particular have kind of emerged recently, Um, and these are models that are very similar to models of drug addiction, where animals are basically learning to associate either context or certain actions with aggression. And we see that they'll display high levels of motivation um, for being able to attack, especially subordinate animals. And this is really in line with what we see in the human literature. Um, And so we were in this paper kind of arguing for a more widespread use of, of models that distinguish between these types of aggression, because we would hypothesize that animals that are displaying reactive aggression would not necessarily be highly motivated to seek out access to animals that they find threatening. Scott Russo is a professor of neuroscience and psychiatry at the ICANN School of Medicine and heads the lab where Megan Flanagan is a graduate student, and he's the second author on the paper. He says that aggression in humans is on a continuum between proactive and reactive aggression. They're not set in stone, and so you see kind of aspects of both reactive and a more repetitive, uh, proactive, aggressive response And in the context of human disease, you could think about the extreme ends of those descriptors as intermittent explosive disorder, where an individual really does seem to show this more impulsive response, whereas on the other end of the spectrum, uh, psychopathy and antisocial personality disorder really is characterized by planned seeking out of individuals to to harm. And so that's what Megan's getting at, is trying to understand uh, the very different aspects of aggression that we see in human pathology uh, in, in the past, you know, and it really hasn't been considered, I think, at the animal level. So in terms of how aggression plays out in the human brain, what had animal models shown to date, and where do you think research on human aggression in the brain should be focused? We outlined in the paper kind of how the ventromedial hypothalamus has been highly studied as, you know, this node of aggression initiation. But we're kind of arguing that we need to step outside of this idea because really in humans, there is not a lot of evidence that the ventromedial hypothalamus is actually dysregulated in humans displaying abnormal aggressive behavior. And so what we argue is that if this is an initiation circuit, there are very likely inputs to this circuit that influence its ability to initiate aggression either appropriately or inappropriately. And so we need to start looking at at those circuits and how they're influencing, you know, this final node in attack. And I would just add, you know, in large part, the studies have shown, although not completely, that it 
acts kind of independent of social context. And a good example of this is species kind of typical aggression would be uh, an aggressive male attacking a subordinate male. If you stimulate the VMH, you can get an aggressive male to an attack a subordinate female or a female intruding into his cage, which they never typically do. You can always also get the animal to attack an inanimate object, such as a blown up rubber glove. And in humans, uh, aggression and violence is far more complex. And so it's possible that what the VMH is doing in the context of aggression related to specific social cues and social targets is that it's integrating it through these inputs that she uh, mentioned. And so upstream of the VMH, brain regions might be evaluating the social context and other aspects of the interaction and then signaling to the VMH to, to attack. You also write that the propensity to carry out violent acts is influenced by the degree to which the subject finds these acts rewarding. So what do recent studies indicate about the link between aggression and reward? There's been a couple of studies, both by our group and um, others. So like I said, we mentioned these models of of kind of uh, proactive aggression where, where animals are motivated to attack, especially subordinate in animals. So in these models, you know, animals will learn to love or press for access to these intruders that they can attack, and that indicates that they find it rewarding to some degree. And then we find actually that classical reward circuits, such as areas like the nucleus accumbens and recently the lateral habenula, which normally play a role in reward and motivation-related behaviors such as drug addiction um, or even stress, these are actually pivotal in controlling how much animals find aggression rewarding in, in these models. And what types of future research questions arise from this line of investigation about reward and aggression? One big question is how these reward circuits integrate with the ventromedial hypothalamus or other circuits that are initiating attack. So we see that there's kind of this separation between reward and attack initiation that together can influence how aggressive an animal is going to be. So not only are they going to fight, but also how much do they like fighting? Right now, there's not a lot of information, and we're not entirely sure how these two groups of circuits might link together and influence each other to therefore influence aggression. So that's a that's an important future direction. Yeah, I agree with Megan. I, I would also add to that um, that the, the circuits that we've studied, such as the lateral habenula and upstream of it, the, the ventral striatum, uh, they don't seem to be attack initiation sites themselves. They really seem specifically to encode the valence of the interaction so that if you um, artificially stimulate them, you cannot turn a non-aggressive animal to be aggressive. That's not true of these ventromedial hypothalamic regions. So um, as, as Megan had suggested, you know, they're either parallel circuits or they're somehow uh, impinging upon these attack initiation sites to, uh, to control the, the, the behavior itself. But they are somehow different than what we think of as traditional attack centers. As you write, reward isn't the only potentially misfiring system when it comes to aggression. What is research demonstrating about inappropriate emotional response to perceived threats, as well as poor impulse control? How are those two systems involved? We really don't have a good understanding at the biological level as to how impulse control uh, leads to inappropriate aggression. You know, there's great operant models that are being developed now to study aggression and aggression-seeking behavior. Uh, incorporating uh, an impulse control layer to those operant models could be interesting to see whether or not certain individuals respond under more impulsive-like patterns. Um, but more generally, I think that the, the biggest issue in my mind, the biggest gap in my mind, is really filling in the pieces 
uh, within disorder, right? Because aggression across disorders can look very differently. But within disorders, filling in the gaps between what we know in human versus what we know in mouse, you know, even getting good high-level fMRI scans of aggressive patients that have, you know, either impulsive aggressive aggression or um, motivational aspects of aggressive behavior. We don't really have these types of brain-wide maps and thus making it difficult to understand what our animal models actually mean. How might all this influence the search for therapeutics? Therapeutics for aggression is challenging, which is probably why we don't really have any therapeutics for aggression per se. We use off-label antipsychotics to sedate patients. Um, But in general, aggression is an evolutionarily conserved adaptive behavior. And we don't quite have a good handle on or definition of uh, when it becomes pathological. Obviously, when you have a psychiatric patient population for which aggression is a symptom, you can say that's pathological. But where do we step in and where do we intervene? And that's compounded by the fact that we really don't have a huge understanding of the substrates that drive aggression. Megan's been alluding to this the whole the whole discussion, but we don't really understand the circuits very well. We don't really understand the molecules very well. There's been a relative paucity in research in these areas. And so we're at a very early stage in terms of thinking about therapeutics development. But, you know, I think as we start to put together a a map of the circuits and then layer on top of that the molecules within those circuits that are regulating really severe forms of what we may consider pathological aggression, we can start to think more broadly about therapeutics. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the research paper discussed in this podcast, go to www.nature.com NPP. I'm Cynthia Graber.